This is 69 The Podcast. I'm Dave Haynes. 69 has been covering the digital signage industry since the dawn of man, first online and now as a podcast. The goal on here is to make listeners aware of interesting companies, smart people, and new technology developments, all of them meaningful in making digital signage projects happen. I try to help listeners understand sometimes complicated subjects and why they should care. The podcasts are free and I try to get a new one out weekly, but things happen now and then. The 69 Podcast has been gratefully sponsored and supported since the start by Jeremy Gavin and the fine folks at ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. ScreenFeed makes beautiful-looking, totally automated content for signage and digital out-of-home networks. Check them out at ScreenFeed.com. 69 has been around since 2006, and the publication and podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which provides customer engagement solutions for business. You can find them at Spectrio.com. Ahead of the networking mixer panel that 69 pulls together during DSE week in Las Vegas, we tried a panel discussion this year in the hour before the actual mixer started. I zeroed in on mergers and acquisitions as the topic, as I'm aware of numerous companies either selling or buying. To get a sense of what's going on out there and what companies are looking for, three CEOs of top software and solutions companies kindly volunteered some of their limited time to sit and field questions during the panel. We had Kevin Carbone of Scala, Tamara Beb of Spectrio, and Rick Mills of Creative Realities. My initial thought was that I'd be moderator, but I quickly realized I was needed in 15 different places in the hour before the formal mixer started, talking to my check-in team and to the staff at the venue. So I drafted Christian Armstrong of Spectrio, who has lived this both from looking for potential acquisitions when he was at Industry Weapon to experiencing the transition after his company was acquired by Spectrio. Thank you everyone for coming and thank you for joining us and taking the time to you know, answer some of these questions that I know everyone's really eager to hear. So I'm going to kick it right off. All three of your companies have been heavily involved in M&A over the past few years. Can you each walk us through you know, some of that activity and just you know, at a high level what you've done in recent years? Uh, Rick, I'll start with you. Sure. Regarding our M&A, I guess in the last couple of years, in 2018, November, we bought a company out of Atlanta called Allure Systems. And then earlier this past year, we closed on a company called Reflect uh, out of Dallas. Many of you know Lee Summers is in the audience with us. But So we've added those two into the mix and have been busy integrating them ever since and are still actively looking for additional companies to add to the mix. Awesome, awesome. And Tamara? My name is Tamara Bebb with Spectrio. It's very nice to be here today and talk to all of you. Um, relatively new with Spectrio, but very excited to come into a company that is very active in M&A. Um, most recent one we had, we've done 14 companies over the last four years, uh, four of significant nature in the past one year, and most recently paying in the spring, um, which was a wonderful acquisition for us with incredible talent. So very excited to be uh, involved in M&A. It brings amazing product and talent into the organization, and it helps us reach our goal of growing to be what we want to be in, in the future. Uh, I'm Kevin Carboni. <clears throat> I'm the CEO of Scala, and I'll uh, give my perspective from our parent company's uh, view, Stratacash. Uh, we've done 17 acquisitions over the last 15 years, been very active in the acquisition market. Scala, where I'm CEO, uh, was one of those acquisitions about uh, six years ago, but we've acquired companies that uh, bring new technology uh, to Stratacash. Uh, new capabilities, new organizational capabilities, and in some cases, uh, new markets. Uh, Scala itself brought 
of an entire presence in Europe and Asia and Latin America to Stratocash. And uh, so we always look for ways to um, really uh, advantage the entire uh, set of divisions within the Stratocash family. And we're still uh, very actively looking at uh, acquisition opportunities. Thanks so much. So what's the strategy behind these acquisitions? Is it simply adding to the footprint of the organization, adding customers, you know, or is there more to it than that? Tamara, I'm going to start with you on this one. Okay. Uh, I think it's all of the above, actually. There, there are multiple of reasons and, and that you would look at, factors we look at for acquisition of a company. It uh, could be product, could be customers, um, could be talent, could be markets, verticals, access to markets. So there, there are a whole host of, of characteristics we look at when we look at an acquisition of any size, whether it's small, medium, or large. Um, really, it's a blended fit. And I think for us, it's just an incredible opportunity to bring talent into the organization for companies that have aligned cultures with us and at the same time expand our customer base. So it helps us grow ultimately, you know, organically as well once we brought in these additional customers. So we look across a variety of factors. Oh, that's great. Kevin, you have anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, we, uh, we mostly focus on bringing technology, be it hardware or software technology, into the company. Again, as I mentioned a minute ago, we've done acquisitions that in some cases bring market presence, bring customers, uh, bring organizational capabilities. But most of the acquisitions are around adding to our technology stack or our portfolio of, of solutions that can be part of our overall offering. Um, and, and that's what we're looking at right now. We're looking constantly to, to, uh, to add to the, to the capabilities we, we offer out to the marketplace. Rick, what does uh, CRI have to do? Um, you know, I think people, talent is, is very important, number one. Number two, we were also looking for technology products to kind of complete the core offering. And we've, we believe we have our platform today. So, but it's people, talent, creativity, and then ultimately is customers and are they a good fit, right? Yeah. Because customers, you know, when you look at the customer base they have, they got to really be a fit for your current team and skill set. Sure. Or else we just move on. And then last but not least is, is verticals. We have tended to plug verticals with an acquisition. Um, and that will be our go forward strategy. You know, for today, for example, we are not in corporate communications. We really, that's not a vertical that we would tell you we're world experts in, right? We're just not. But that would be one that we acquire. Got it. That makes a ton of sense. I think, Christian, the, the comment that you made about product is, is very important in terms of, you know, how are you augmenting your own product lifecycle? Does it allow you to accelerate faster on your technology? So I think that. That is a key element of fit when you're looking at opportunities. Oh, absolutely. I agree. So, Tamara, what would you say the most exciting trend you're seeing with in, in 2022 has been, at least for our organization? I give you my perspective from Spectrio. I think that uh, what I'm most excited about and what I've seen in 2022 is a huge investment in the company in terms of getting us ready for the next level of where we are. Spectrio has grown very, very quickly there's incredible talent. There's a lot of organizations, which, which like you said, it's, it's, a, it's a work to integrate them. It is a work to integrate. But I think to have a platform that, that's built to integrate better and to allow us to get to the next stage of where this company wants to go and the next level of size is probably the most significant trend I've seen in 2022. That's great. Do either of you have anything you want to add to that? 
Well, I would say, uh, you know, our, our perspective is it's interesting coming out of the pandemic where um, suddenly so many people are returning back into mm-hmm. venue and back into stores. And uh, we have a really strong focus on quick service restaurants and retail. And, uh, you know, 12, 18 months ago, uh, a lot of our retail partners and customers were not making investments in in store or in warehouse. We're seeing so much renewed interest in that right now. Recession or not, um, we're cautiously optimistic that that's good for our, our space overall. No, totally. A lot of a lot of those organizations are seeing signage as a business critical component that is driving a lot of that demand, which is great to see. Rick, your highest profile acquisition has probably reflect. Would you agree? Yep. Uh, you want to comment around what the attraction was with that that CMS provider and you know, why you made that decision? Well, first off, we knew the company very well. Been in conversations with them for a number of years, uh, but really, number one was the platform. We feel like they had a series of platforms that represented some of the best CMS and ad tech with the AdLogic ad-serving platform. So those were the primary technical drivers. Second issue was a really talented group of people in Dallas, Texas. That when we, and, and that's the gift that keeps on giving, right? We're, sure. And so we're excited to have the Dallas team as part of it. That's great. Kevin, you run Scala, which was acquired by Stratacash. And, you know, that puts you in a position where you have experience being acquired by a company, but also going after many other companies. Um, do you have a, a team that's focused squarely on M&A at the Stratacash standpoint? And you want to comment on how that how that operates? Yeah, absolutely. We do have a dedicated team. It's run by Dirk Hugh Elzerman uh, out of the UK, but we have uh, um He's got a team in London, and then we also have folks, subject matter experts uh, in different parts of the Stratacash family that um, that help on acquisitions. I'm one of those. Uh, I've been involved in, uh, first off, I, we were acquired when I was CEO at PRN by Stratacash. Now I run Stratacash, but I've also been involved in the acquisition of two other companies. And so we have, we, we tend to Take the lead from the uh, from Dirk's organization in London, um, but we marshal sort of the best uh, resources available to do the due diligence to to really go deep with the owners, the founders, the uh, developers, the technologists of the target companies, um, and it's really a it's a group effort. Got it. No, thank you for that. So I'm going to jump back to you know the the group with this next question here. Um, you know, really, is there a standard profile of organizations that interest you? Uh, I'll start with Rick and move across. Well, in this industry, I'm not sure there's such a thing as a standard at all, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, you look at our industry, our industry is 22 years old. It's relatively young in terms of industry. And you look at the people who founded a lot of the companies out there. One's a, one's a, a, a dreamer, the other's a technologist. And and so it's interesting to see how dreamers run their companies and technologists run their companies, or shall I say lack thereof. I'm not exactly sure, right? Because <laughs> I'm, And I'm sure they've seen it all, right? Um, but no, we again, we, we just look for a good fit from a customer. Uh, profile is probably the most important. Sure. And then company culture, right? What does that really look like? Um, and... 
to a certain degree on how easy we believe the integration aspects will be. Got it. Got it. Tamara? Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think that there is a degree of a high degree of creativity and a high degree of technical, but then as you start bringing companies together and integrate companies and create a large scalable company, there's a lot of discipline and process and that just needs to be there to, to make the company run, you know, as best it can. But I think when we look at particular scoping of companies, I would say no. I mean, I think it could be 10 employees or it could be 100 employees because it really matters on why you're looking for that company fit. Is it a product fit, a talent fit, a vertical fit? Um, I think the biggest thing that is difficult for people who haven't either been bought or sold is to know what it takes to get through that due diligence phase and to do it well. Because you don't want to get to the end of the phase where there's still so many open items. So I think helping people who haven't sold before, really having those good conversations up front to make the due diligence very, very easy. Sure. And to talk about how do we successfully integrate this? Because think what it's like for somebody who's in a company of 10 or 15 coming into a company of 500. Oh, absolutely. You know, and that's if that's all they've ever known, it's really hard. So you have to really do a lot of great work to make sure those people feel very valued in the company they're coming into. Yeah, they're coming from an area where there was probably a very little process. Everything could be, you know, what they wanted and then getting into that structure. Correct. And, and it's a lot of change for those people. So there's a lot of change management involved in how companies ran depending on the size and, and what they were doing. Integration is harder than what most people anticipate, I think. Oh, for sure. Kevin, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah. Uh, if, you know, we have a very specific set of criteria we use when we look at companies, whether they're technology companies or some other reason we might be uh, acquiring them. Uh, we're a global company. We have 28 offices worldwide. So first and foremost, we look at, can this company scale globally? Can their technology or whatever it is that, whatever capability is we're bringing in, can it apply to all of our uh, uh, regions and divisions? Can it scale globally? Very important. That isn't always the case. Um, secondly, can it be aligned with or benefit our different divisions? We have div divisions that do different things. And I'll give you an example. We purchased uh, a walk base out of Finland uh, several years ago, uh, sensor beacon technology, uh, analytics, um, that was a strategic acquisition because we knew it, while they hadn't been able to scale on their own, we knew it could make our signage smart. We knew it could advantage our PRN division that is, that relies on measurement and pathing, uh, to report back to its advertisers. We knew that it could advantage and align with several of our different business units and we could make it part of our technology stack. So helping our other divisions is a second criteria. Third is, are they profitable or are they on a path to profitability? And we don't always buy companies that are profitable at that time, but they certainly have to be on the path to profitability. We have to have a good story. Um, fourth, um, is there something repeatable and recurring in their business model? Do they have a service or a software that we can build into a recurring model? Because that is one of the keys to, to surviving and getting beyond the competitor uh, uh, landscape. Um, and then finally, the last one, we're pretty specific about this. If they're not already there, can they be at $50 million in sales in two to three years? Got we it. have some units that do more than that, some that are slightly less, but that's got to be the goal for us. Otherwise, it doesn't allow us to really grow the business and scale appropriately. No, that makes, that makes a ton of sense. So 
I'm guessing, especially in the current landscape of the industry, that you have a lot of companies reaching out to you looking to cash out. Is that a correct statement? And you know, how do you handle that process? I'm going to start with you, Rick, on that. Sorry, I know you just answered well, it. <clears throat> yeah, no, we, we, um, <clears throat> we have companies coming to us all the time. And uh, I think in the last year, we've probably had 200 or so companies just knocking on the door. There are a lot of people, a lot of companies out there looking. Um, and could be that there were, you know, uh, they just haven't been able to scale and hit their market. The total addressable market that they counted on didn't materialize. Doesn't mean there aren't good companies out there. And so, uh, yeah, we're seeing a lot of, a lot of traction or a lot of action. Excellent. You want to add anything there, Rick? And, you no, know, I, I would just add that coming out of, uh, coming out of the pandemic, there were some companies that just didn't do as well going through the pandemic. And so they exited the pandemic in, I don't want to say challenging shape, but it looked like the next year or two could bring challenging times. So a lot of those conversations have been had. Um, and again, we have somebody that kind of runs that, our buy-side program for us. George works for us and runs our buy-side program. And at any one time, we've probably got 30 companies on the on the radar and we're talking and tracking. And that's I'm sure it's very similar for these guys. Tamar? Yeah, it is very similar. There's a there's a large portfolio of companies or group of companies that we're looking at and many we're talking to at a point in time. I think the other element right now, the capital markets are a little tighter. So it you know, the dynamics all the time are changing in terms of you know what the opportunities are for buy and sell. So to that point, what are some of the things that you're looking for from a company when they're you know coming to your door or looking to be acquired or you're looking at an organization? Can you comment on that a bit? I think, you know, you always look at the SGNA portion, what does that look like? You know, how can we take this company today that maybe is break even? And can we get a good mixture of, of the SGNA? And what does that look like? And how can we reduce that? How can we combine functions to save dollars? Uh, you know, the old adage in, in acquisitions, you want one plus one equals three. You know, we're, we're no different than that. Sure. Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, I think you have to have a pathway to profitability. That's for sure. Even if that pathway is created by joining us, because mm -hmm. that's where some of the synergies are going to come from. And we see that sometimes even just by improving the, the technology, the acceleration of the technology development they otherwise would have, that we otherwise would have invested in. So sure. there are a lot of factors that you look at as, as we look at acquisitions. I'd imagine people talent too. People talent is absolutely huge. I mean, getting good talent and We've just seen like the last acquisition we did with Ping. We got some of the greatest people. ABN, we have the people in the automotive space. Just, just incredible talent Absolutely. who know their customers. Well, and I just also add, what are their customers saying, right? You know, because at the end of the day, we ultimately end up talking to their customers. How Absolutely. are they performing? What are they doing? What are they doing right? And what could you use or what how could you benefit from being part of this bigger organization and us delivering more talent to you the customer more offerings kevin do you have anything you want to add there just that uh yeah i think that um uh it's i think for a for a company that's looking to sell um they're always most concerned about how they position themselves uh to to uh the potential acquirer and, and it's very important that they don't pull punches and it's very important that they're, cause we're going to, we're going to dive in and we're going to be, um, 
you know, do our due diligence and be very thorough in how we approach Absolutely. that. So we're looking for we're looking for companies that are going to be uh, to be forthright and, and be willing to talk about their flaws as well as everything that they're bringing positively to the market. That makes a ton of sense. That makes a ton of sense. For over a decade, ScreenFeed has been the reliable choice for beautifully designed, licensed content such as news and weather. We handle over 27 million requests a day to deliver dynamic content to 200,000 screens across the globe. Now we bring you ScreenFeed Connect, a no-code solution that makes complex content projects easy. Projects that used to take our designers and developers weeks became a to-do we could complete before lunch. The easy-to-use browser-based tool leverages pre-built data connections and ready-made widgets to give you the power to design with data. Create team member profiles, schedules, tenant directories, progress boards, featured products, or anything that leverages your data. Discover how Connect empowers you to complete projects faster at screenfeed.com. So are there any parameters in terms of size? I mean, is there a company that's too small or too large that you just don't want to look at? Well, you had a a threshold that you guys use. We don't necessarily use a revenue threshold. I I think to integrate a company sometimes, the amount of integration work is pretty similar if it's a small acquisition or a large acquisition. The efforts of integration are the same. The costs of integration are the same. So it really does come down to why are you acquiring the company in the first place? You know, is it the people? Is it the the product? Is it the development opportunity? Uh, the customer verticals, and, and you know, or the future path to profitability. So the integration work is about the same. But I like the comment that you made. I think one of the things that's so important if you are looking to sell, be very transparent, because it's so much easier to put the actual facts on the table up front. What's working? What's not working? Where do you have a challenge or not have a challenge? Because it actually allows the buyer to get to the synergies faster. And actually putting your challenges on the table is really good up front because it gives us an opportunity if we're bigger or we have a, a larger group to identify how we can address the values of correcting those challenges. Yeah, I, I, I've been on the, the, sell, the sell side um, a couple of times and there, there is this tendency, you never feel like your due diligence materials are as perfect as they need to be. You never feel like you have the contracts as buttoned up as you want them to be. Um, and it, it takes a, a, a lot of work. It becomes a full-time job to prepare all of that, but it's never quite there. And um, I remember when PRN was acquired by Stratacash and uh, with the first meeting we had with Chris Regal, and I talked with my management team beforehand. I said, we've done our job. We've done our best to prepare. We know part of the reason we're here is because we have something great to offer them, but part of the reason we're here is because we're underperforming at this point. We've, our market has changed, right? And so let's be honest about that because he's going to find it out anyway. He's going to be, he's going to be very thorough. And that's my approach as the acquirer. When we go out and look at acquisitions, we're going to find it out. We're very thorough. I'm an experienced CEO. If I get a chance to talk to a potential team, I I'm reading the room. I'm reading how honest and straightforward they're being. So it's, um, that's very, very important. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just add one thing. We're, we're in a little bit different place because we're public. So as a public entity, to go buy a $2 million business, my deal structure and cost are the same as, on the transaction as if I'm buying a $30 million business. So in, when we look at it, it's really all about can I get a fit here? because we do have some parameters as public, it just makes it tough. And then number two, 
our level of due diligence and the audits that we have to have as a public entity tend to, it, it, makes, it, it makes it challenging. I know somebody in the audience named Lee Summers who can nod his head to that because he just went through it, right? <laughs> no, absolutely. So when you're doing that due diligence, what are some of the things you're looking for out of the employees in those organizations and how much do you look at that in that process? I mean, we, we, we try and understand what everybody's role and responsibility mm -hmm. is. You know, it, it's, I mean, first off, you can start with titles just because well, I'm the program director. What the hell does that mean? Right? <laughs> you know, so you got to understand what the title is and then what's the person and what do they really do? Right? Sure. That's the, that's the key number one thing because it's all over the board. Yep. And then you got to ferret that out. That's a, that's an important part of post success. Cause if you didn't ferret that out up front, right. Then you've closed the deal and then you've got, as we say, a hot mess. Right. And we prefer to stay away from those. And, and because a lot of those companies are smaller in nature, a lot of those folks wear a lot of hats. So you, you have to look at where are the strengths with some of those individuals. They, they say they do one thing, but actually they're really, really good at this other thing. So figuring that out can be a challenge. I think, Christian, that's huge. In the smaller acquisitions, you do see a handful of people who have a great breadth of responsibility. And so they don't really fit necessarily into one role. So if you're trying to figure out that synergy, they're little, little Jenga blocks. You pull somebody and really pulls down. So it's important to assess all the talent and figure out what they do. But also, you know, what do they want to do? Like talking to management who's selling, what do these people want to do? Yep. You know, because they don't always get to be involved in the conversations early on. So it's really important that we understand what those people are looking for in their careers and their futures. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Kevin, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? I, I would just add that depending on the size of the, uh, the company you're looking to acquire, it's, it, it may be impossible to, to get to everybody and, uh, you know, usually is impossible, right? To get to everybody and really get a good handle on everybody. Those leave for the surprises once the acquisition is done. So better if you can identify, you know, uh, the core people who can give you the inside scoop on what people really do within an organization. Not always easy to do, but that's something we endeavor. Right. You always find those surprises for sure. And, and in that, you know, we want the, my next question is really, you know, can you discuss a bit more about post acquisition integration? It's obviously not in a easy integrating teams and there's a lot of you know, trickiness to that. So you know, how do you handle that? And can you comment on that a little bit more? Yeah. Um, we, it seems we have a pretty consistent model in, in my experience, uh, over the last seven, eight years, uh, at Scala and Stratacash. Um, we have the benefit of having a low-cost corporate headquarters in Dayton, Ohio, where we can pretty efficiently take human resources, accounting, IT, um, support, and centralize them. Sure. And so it allows us to have fairly low overhead in those core central functions. It does then leave us room, and I think it, it this is part by design, and I think the way Chris has always liked it, to to leave the teams, the, the strategic teams, the sales teams, uh, out at the companies we're acquiring intact. And so PRN was like that. The team that when we were acquired seven years ago by Stratacash, our team's intact at PRN. We have strong, experienced people. Scala, we have a lot of people 
who are still there from the time we were acquired. Um, and a lot of the other acquisitions that Strata has made, uh, they've done that. So it, it does allow that centralization. Um, it does make it more challenging, however, to get true integration and information sharing across divisions. It's something we work at every every year to get sure. better. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's difficult as you bring in um, people from different companies. There, there's so many elements to an integration. There's the integration of people into your into your culture. Hopefully, you have a good culture fit to start with. There's an integration of systems, processes, making sure your customers understand. And and you know, so I think it's the one thing that we're doing the most is really trying to look back on every acquisition we've done in the past. What could we have done better? What didn't we do well? What can we do better? In fact, I have meetings every 90 days with the, the new folks coming in. Mm -hmm. How has it been for you coming into Spectrio so we can understand how can we be better at integrating you? I think communication and, and getting everyone talking together is, is absolutely huge because you know these people have established relationships with critical customers. Right. We don't want to upset that, right? And they have extreme product knowledge, but now how do we share it? across the product team? How do we introduce new products for sales that the guys didn't or gals didn't have before? And how do we make them feel part of the team? And the rest is just the administrative integration, you know, and systems is a big part of it. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, I would just add one thing that we tend to focus on and is the acquired company and the personnel who we acquired, you got to make them feel like they're part of the process, you know, so that they... If, if they're not part of the process, they don't adapt to change and they don't understand why. And then that hot mess thing comes up, right? So, but if they feel like they're part of the process and they're part of the decision making as that moves along, you tend to get better adoption, quicker adoption, uh, and a quicker integration. Thank you. So when I look at digital signage space, to your point, it's a fairly young industry. I mean, you look at you know more, some of the more mature industries out there. There's a handful of dominant platforms. I think of Salesforce for CRM, Shopify for e-commerce. I mean, you could go on there. You know, do you think it's inevitable that digital signage will have that you know, that mul go from like the multiple sources to more just a handful of options? And how do you see that playing out? I think as you know, we, we use the phrase digital signage 2.0. Industry's 22 years old. Now it's a must-have. You know, this is no longer cool and neat. It's now, it's part of my critical path mm -hmm. for all my retail stores, all my restaurants, whatever that looks right. like. Right. And so, yes, we do believe that customers will self-select and there will ultimately be four, five, six large enterprise players in this space. For sure. Now, but even in, you know, CRM, why you got three companies that control 78% of the market, the other 22 is controlled by a thousand companies. And I think we'll still be in the same spot. You'll have a predominant enterprise group that deals with the massive big footprint customers. And then there'll be a bunch of small companies that still compete. Makes sense. Tamara, you have anything to add there? Yeah, I agree with you. I think I agree with that completely. I, it, over time, you're going to see, I mean, the, the industry is relatively young. It's ever-changing. It's unbelievably tech-based and creative. So we're going to continue to see change over time, and we're going it, to, it, it's going to continue to evolve. The way it is now is not going to be the way it is in 24 months. It's, it's, right. it's just not. So I think we are going to see more big players because some of the smaller companies, it's hard when you've invested all of your efforts and energies into a co small concentration of customers to then grow to that next level. 
and it's going to take some investment. So I do think you're going to see a few big players come out in the end. That makes a ton of sense. Kevin? I, uh, if, if you know Chris Regal, our CEO at Stratacash, you know he loves military analogies, geopolitical analogies, and he and I talk about uh, this sort of thing a lot. Um, digital signage, uh, in his view, and I, I share this, is kind of like Afghanistan, where you've got big players like the Brits, the Americans, the Russians have moved in in the past, and they try to impose their will, and they try to remake the government or the society uh, according to what they value and what their geopolitical situation is. Kind of like Google and Cisco and Samsung popping into digital signage and trying to impose their will or trying to remake the space. But people end up leaving. These players end up leaving and then returning and coming back. So I don't think that's going to change. I think we're constantly going to be under threat from the bigger players. But we're here continuing to battle it out, continuing to fight, continuing to try to innovate, knowing and leveraging the experience we have in this space. And I think that counts for an awful lot. We're, we're constantly thinking about not only how do we add to our technology stack by looking at acquisitions, but how do we truly break out of this? We're putting a, we've just, you know, we've got a fabrication facility in Eugene, Oregon, where we're pursuing micro LED fabri fabrication because we know that Korea is exiting the, the display, large format display business, and China is owns 70% of the market. So I think the players that are in digital side, signage, we're going to constantly innovate and look for ways to fend off the big guys. And I, 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 uh, I, I think we're, my view is we're going to be able to do that. Got it. No, I appreciate those answers. And so that's the end of my questions. And I think that there's this this room has filled up a good bit since we started here. I'm going to open up the floor to a handful of questions. If you have a question, raise your hand. I'm going to come down and hand you the microphone so everyone can hear you. Um, does anyone in the room have one? All right. Thanks for doing this, guys. Great uh, information. But I was wondering about multiples. What can you tell us about how you guys evaluate companies? whether it's based on recurring revenue, multiples, or EBITDA, or sales? And what do you see as the trends for those in the past year and perhaps for the next 12 months? And we, we look at, uh, we look at um, uh, multiples of EBITDA, and we look at you know, profitability multiples. And again, I think I made the statement earlier that we look for companies that are profitable or on the path to profitability. So we don't always have a company that, that is profitable where we can assign that multiple. Um, but that's, that's a key measure for us. Uh, and then we do look at things like, is there a recurring revenue stream here? Can we see them getting to a point two years, three years from now where they're generating consistent revenue and being accretive to our business? Um, that's very, very important. The question about what, what do we see with multiples now? I think we're seeing some, from our perspective, it's a, it's, it's going to be a bit of a buyer's market. I agree. I think that uh, we, we don't always look at EBITDA, but we do look at EBITDA because there are a lot of companies that aren't EBITDA positive. What is the path to profitability? I agree with that. We look at ARR a lot. Um, but again, it, it all comes down to when you're looking at that, the profitability and the revenue stream, how do you get it to profitability? Because that's ultimately what we want to bring in. And, and I would agree that um, the multiples are probably a little more in favor of the buyer's market at the moment. Yeah, agreed. The markets have certainly turned downward and multiples are maybe shrinking a little bit. But we also look at free cash flow. 
and how can we get the free cash flow out of the company? Because many times they're not generating free cash flow on their own, but if we bring them in and strip out the duplicate effort that Kevin talked about, um, can they be generating true free cash flow? And what does that look like? And so that's a lot that goes into the multiple that we assign. Anybody else have a question for the group? Yeah, thanks guys for doing this, really informative. Um, my question is around when you partner versus going it alone. Um, a lot of our industry is filled with, you know, there are a bunch of really big integrators and then a bunch of smaller ones some of us work with, and then lots of different technology folks whose um, bits and bobs come together to make a project. When you guys look at that, are you thinking, we're going to be the entire stack for the customer all of the time, and that's our strategy? Or are you saying, we're going to be really good at certain things, and at others, we're always going to partner? Christian, there's a big fan behind us or something. Can you maybe repeat that a little bit? I got three quarters of it, but I'm not sure I got it all. Uh, so the question is around going it alone versus partnering. So as you look at companies you're acquiring, are you looking at saying, how do I become an end-to-end solution for the customer all of the time? Or are you looking at it and saying, okay, I'm going to become an expert in this you know, particular set of things, and then the rest of the time, I'm going to partner? So just thoughts on partnering versus going it alone to meet the customer's needs. So I'll, I'll take first stab at it. I mean, we look at core signage market, there's 17... 17 services to provide that really make up the, the core markets. On those, we tend to want to own them. And then for any adjacent technologies, we look for partners because we are very narrow focused. And I think these guys are too, potentially. But, you know, we get asked by customers a lot, will you come to our boardroom? Will you, you know, come to our classrooms? And the answer is we say no. We don't do that stuff. We're very laser focused. And so we're laser focused on the 17 services that we want to provide and then use partners for the rest. Yeah, I would, I would say uh, I'd, I'd answer it a couple of ways. One, we have our channel partners that are very important to us and we, um, we leverage them and, and, uh, to, to provide solutions to our customers and they're very important to us. Um, but when it comes to, the core technology and the solutions we provide, we've we've continued to make a pretty strong effort toward vertically integrating, uh, you know, supply manufacturing our own uh, players and uh, and displays uh, through our Scala China facility, and I mentioned this micro LED uh, fabrication facility. Um, we uh, the software side we've continued to try to add to our stack. We have a strong professional services team. We can an app services team. We continue to invest in. So we try to do, I think it's our philosophy to do as much of it ourselves as we can. Um, but yeah, granted, there are, there are areas where maybe we, we don't play it outside of our, our, our core uh, set of capabilities and we'll, we're, we'll certainly partner. And I think for us, it's really a combination of the different platform, uh, different areas that we're talking about. But our channel partners are critically important to us. Our equipment vendors are critically important to us and even some of our outsourced services providers. So depending on what we're most focused on, it is critically important that we have those great relationships with those other partners that we do choose to work with. I'll just add one more thing. And it, it also depends upon where you are in your journey. For example, eight years ago, 
not very many signage companies had analytics as part of a platform. Just wasn't a big deal today. And so eight years ago, we were partnering when uh, requests for analytics came up. Today, analytics is key critical. And today, it's part of our core offering and core platform. So that's because the industry changed. Customer expectations changed. And I suspect you all have the same, same thing. Thank you, everyone. So I think we have time for one more question, if you have one. Okay. From an M&A perspective, what's your approach to companies that you would classify as disruptive, early stage? So I think I heard that uh, the, the question was, what, what's our approach toward companies that are classified as disruptive or early stage? More dis disruptive than early stage, but they typically are early stage. Disruptive companies tend to be early stage and they get in your way. How do you look at that from an M&A perspective? They certainly wouldn't be, we certainly would take a look at those companies and be very interested in those companies if they're disruptive, if they, if they show the promise to, to be breakthrough and to uh, give you the promise of potential hyper growth, for instance. Those tend to carry higher valuations um, and, uh, and, and they tend to be shopping around in, in a different stratosphere. So if they happen to fall within our defined set of criteria, fantastic, but often they don't. I would agree. I guess the question is why it is disruptive. The actual fact that it's disruptive could be an accelerant for why you may want it in the first place. So again, I think it really depends on the nature of the company that's for sale. Anything you want to add there, Rick? No, I think they, they yeah. covered it. Yeah, sure. So that concludes our session here today. Thank you, everyone, for coming. I want to remind everyone that the uh, in the back of the room to the, towards the entrance, there is a LinkedIn photo booth that you can go and get a headshot. So take advantage of that. And uh, thanks again. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe you learned a thing or two. If you're new to 69, it's a podcast that's been around since 2016. You can click around the archive and find hundreds of conversations with smart industry people. If you're new to digital signage, you need to be reading 169 at 16-9.net. You'll find more than 8,000 posts by me and expert guest writers about this industry. 16.9 is not a press release republishing mill like a lot of the stuff out there. If something makes it on 16.9, that means it matters in some way to the business. Everything about 16.9 is free. Great sponsors make my work possible. And the key one here is ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. Check out all the curated and automated content available at ScreenFeed.com. 16.9, the blog and the podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which does customer engagement solutions, most of that digital signage for all kinds of businesses. You'll find them in the Tampa area and online at Spectrio. That's Spectrio.com. You'll find me working out of a sunny back room in my house located outside Halifax, Nova Scotia on the east coast of Canada. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Haynes.